Now, we started this series, and it's really a, a marriage series, but I want to tell you this. Listen, if you are single, if you are um, engaged, if you are a person that is in a relationship, all of these things still apply in all of the relationships that we have in life. Because here's the, what really um, we need to, to wrap our minds around is that each one of us, we grow up with this image, this idea of what does a, a successful relationship look like? What, what could it be? How, how, does it, how does it work and what, what should be done? And so we have this idea of how, how our relationship should be, what our hopes and our dreams and all of those things are, that are going on in our lives. We have this idea that we put, put them all in this box and we carry this box around with us. And it's, it's all of our hopes. All of those things that we had hoped that our relationship would be, the fulfillment that would come, uh, the, the dreams, those things that we said, you know, I want, I want to have a relationship where all we do is, is laugh and skip down the lane and, and we have that nice house on the beach with the picket fence and we have all the money that we could ever have and we have all this big dream, right? And you're like, wake up, <laughs> wake up. And we have these desires. We have the, these things that kind of pop out in our, in our minds that if I had a relationship, if I was engaged with another person, I would hope and desire that they would see me for who I am, that they'd accept all of my flaws and that they would have none. And so there we are. We build this box. And, and as we're single or, and, and, and we're thinking about it, actually, when you're single, you don't really think about your box that much. You think about somebody else's package, what they're going to offer. So your dreams and your desires are kind of, kind of for them, what they are going to be like. And as you get engaged, you kind of start getting an idea of, of how this person is going to be just how you want them to be. And then you get married. And both of you carry this box up to the altar. And you say, here, this is for you, right? I want to give you this box and it's filled with my hopes, my dreams, my desires. And we exchange those boxes. And we find out that as we bring that box to the altar, when we were single, we were just thinking about not anything but finding that perfect person for ourselves. I'll find the one person that can put up with me. I'll find that one person that not only has the skills that I don't, but they happily do those things without question any time that I'd like them to. And then we wonder if we will ever find that person, right? So we bring that box and, and finally we find that one person, we go to the wedding, everything seems reasonable that you place in your box. You put in things like a career, you put in things like schedule ex expectations, calendaring, and how many kids you're gonna have and if you're going to budget or if you're not going to budget. And in that box, everything that seems reasonable to you is in that box. And for, for, for me, everything that was in my box, I thought was absolutely reasonable. And I hand it over, and then I received this box that's filled with hopes and dreams and desires. But here's the problem with these boxes as we carry them around, as we hand them off to somebody. It's not long when our, our hopes and our dreams and our desires turn into expectations. 
when we add all of those hopes and dreams, desires, and we shove them over to somebody else and say, you need to be everything that I think should be in this box. It no longer feels like hopeful, thoughtful, dreaming, desires. It then becomes this weight of expectation. And when we hand them off, we don't understand the pressure that we're pushing on one another. So what's an expectation? It's a strong belief that something will happen or be the case in the future. And you're saying, listen, it's not bad to have an expectation for your spouse. It's not bad to, to assume, to think that they would, would have some admirable qualities, that they would have some a- admirable uh, traits that we want to see in one another. And while that's true, here's what's honestly in our boxes. We take every bit of the relationships that we've had up to that point, and we put in there anything to re- recreate or to change something that we've experienced in the past. We see our parents' relationship and we say, I want one just like that. Or you say, I want one that is nothing like that. And we attempt to recreate through these expectations or transform through these expectations something that's new, something that we want. And here's what happens though, when you have a box filled of expectations. In that relationship, it creates this debt-debtor relationship. It's, it's no longer a, a mutual relationship. It is one where somebody owes someone else something. And so we have this relationship where you can no longer give a gift. It's that you owe me. Listen, I gave up this for you, therefore you owe me. This is what a husband should do. This is what a wife should do. Well, this is what a man should do, and this is what a woman should do, and we have all of these expectations that then create this debt-debtor relationship. But what happens when it's just transactional is that it's impossible for us to give, to recognize, to receive love. See, if I owe you money, I can't give you money. Transactional relationships have no room at all for gratitude. Think about that. In all the relationships that you've had, the ones where you feel that somebody owes you something and they make good on what they owe you, do you ever have gratitude or do you say, finally, they did what I expected them to do? So how then do we walk through life carrying this box of hopes, dreams, and desires and keep those things from becoming expectations? It's in that we answer the question, what do they owe you? In your marriage relationship, what does she owe you? What does he owe you? And you remember my great marriage advice from last week was nothing absolutely nothing. And it's one of those interesting things where as we relate it to scripture, we find out that we owe the other everything, but we are owed nothing in return. In fact, we said that marriage should be more of a submission competition. 
It should be that race to the back of the line, that, that, that race where we're always trying to put the other ahead of ourselves. And for some, we say that sounds absolutely miserable. You're like, I'm a winner. I like to win, right? I want somebody to do things for me. But in a great marriage, in a healthy relationship with any person, regardless of it being a marriage relationship or just a friend relationship, it should be a race to the back of the line. Sounds miserable. That's why so, many, so few people try to do it. But those who do it, they enjoy it. And this is where we learn this. We learn this from Jesus. And Jesus, before he was uh, to be crucified, he gathered the guys together. He gave them this new command. He said, guys, here, I, I wanna tell you a few things. And, and I have something, I have a brand new command for you where they should have, being good Jewish men, they should have stood up and said, no thanks, let's walk away. Because if you are a, a person that is any sort of a good Jew, you're going to figure out that there's no one that can give new commands. That's uh, kind of God's place, right? There's no one that can supersede Moses. And at that, these guys are like, well, I, I don't know. It's been kind of a wild ride. So let's just kind of lean in. I mean, wh hey, what happened to Judas, right? And here they are and they're watching and they're listening and they're hearing Jesus say, I have a new command for you. He says, I'm stepping ahead of what Moses has said. And Jesus is taking on this place where he's doing exactly what God does. He says this in John chapter 13, verse 34. He says, a new commandment I give you, that you love one another. And they say, <laughs> I don't mean to sound haughty, but that's not new. To which Jesus says, well, I'm not through. He says, a new commandment that I, I give you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You are also to love one another. Now we say this is the law of Christ, or it can be called the, not just the golden rule, the platinum rule. It is the only command that we need. It's, it's that command where we understand that our role is to love as Jesus loved. And we apply it in these ways. We say, listen, what happens if you don't know? What, what do I say? What do I say in a situation? What do I do? In this situation, you love like God through Christ loved you. That's applying this rule. So after the resurrection, after Jesus uh, was placed in the grave and he rose again and he defeated death and he conquered sin and he was the, the example that he came to provide us a way back to God, to be reconciled to God. After the re resurrection, uh, the Apostle Paul, who if, um, if you don't know much about the Apostle Paul, he's basically this guy that his first job was to hate Christians, right? His first job was to make sure that the way did not continue. He, he went through and he pulled people out and he gave them all manner of trouble, trying to get them to recant what was going on in this movement until the apostle Paul had this encounter with the risen Jesus. And for him, everything changed. And this new command that Jesus had given, given takes on a much greater meaning. 
Paul command, told the early Christians that they need to contextualize what does it mean that we love one another just as God through Christ loves us. He's, so the apostle Paul takes it and he says, you need to apply this to everything, including marriage. And so here we are. That's what we're going to do today. Uh, we're going to jump in with the apostle Paul in Ephesians chapter five, your favorite marriage chapter. Ephesians chapter five, verse 22, wives submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. Okay, that's it. Let's pray. Could this be any more clear? No, it's not, it's not that, that it, it's unclear. It's what does this mean, right? So in the earliest Greek manuscripts, here's what you're going to find literally for Ephesians chapter 5, verse 22. It's going to say, wives to your own husbands as to the Lord. What you're going to notice is that there's no verb there. That word submit that gets overused in Christian marriage uh, ceremonies, that word submit that is used when, uh, when maybe it really shouldn't be, that verb is not present in this verse. And before I tell you why it's not there, I want to tell you a little bit of background and why, and when Paul's audience heard this verse, when they, when they heard him say, wives to your own husbands as to the Lord, while they, why they just didn't go, well, that's strange. They responded with a, yeah, we know, wives, submit to your husbands. They responded with a, duh, not a, huh? But here we are, we are so many centuries later and we see that and we go, uh-uh, no, you didn't right? But here's the culture. Here's what was going on in Roman law uh, and in, in other areas too. The men at the time, they had legal ownership over their families. That included their wives. That included their slaves. And so submission wasn't a question. It was a matter of ownership. So of course, the wives had to submit. But back to the, the question, why was there no verb in the Greek structure? Why was there no verb saying submit in that verse? Why do we see it in our English translation, but we don't see it there? And the answer is simply in, in the way that Greek is constructed, the way that it runs through, and, and you have an idea that's pre presented. It's presented before. And then it filters through with that same idea applying to these different areas. Submission is inferred from the previous verse. It's a common grammatical structure. It's just one of those things that, that, um, that we just have to understand about Greek. It's about context. And let's go and let's find out where this started. Let's get some context for what does it mean when we say wives submit to your husbands. We go back one verse and it says this. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. There's a mutual submission. It's a mutual submission. And reverence means out of awe, out of, out of honor for Christ. That we would submit to one another, that we would re defer to one another out of awe, out of worship, out of, out of everything in our lives, just like we are revering, worshiping Christ through our submission to one another. 
So he says that you are to submit to one another out of reverence for Christ, that you would do to one another, do for one another what Christ has done for you. And here's what happened with Jesus. Jesus put you first. He put me first when he died on the cross. When he died for you, Jesus put you first. Instead of expecting you to do what you couldn't do. Everything in life, everything after the resurrection follows an application of this. Just as Christ. Just as Christ. This is why Christian marriage is a submission competition. It's about mutual submission to one another. So that means in our relationships, we ask the questions, how can I help? How can I leverage me for you? In a healthy marriage, we are asking that question over and over again. And our race to the back of the line, in our race to put the other first, we're asking, how can I help? How can I leverage the things that I can do for you? And in fact, we, go, we say, listen, I, at the altar, we say, I promise you that I will leverage. I will leverage my power. I will leverage my influence. I will leverage my resources for your benefit. So Paul tells us to submit one another out of reverence for Christ. That means that you take your box of hopes and dreams and desires and you put it aside and you pull the box of the other in front of you. And instead of that box feeling like a heavy weight of expectation, you say, how can I leverage me for these things that you need? How can I leverage me for the security that you need? How can I leverage me for the dreams that you have? How can I? use my power, my influence for those things? How can I do just as Christ has done for me, for you? Just as Jesus did. Now, Paul said it this way in Philippians. In Philippians chapter two, verses five through seven, he said, in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking on the very nature of a servant. And what you'll find, if, if you don't have like the NIV translation, you're not going to see just as, but you will see as in the ESV, you'll find that every time we see in the letters of Paul, he's, right, he's bringing us back to this just as Christ, just as Christ. Whatever you are to be, whatever you are to do, however you are to do the one another's with each other, it is just as Christ has done that with you. Now, Paul begins this application in what was already a male-dominated culture. So when Paul says these things about submitting to one another 
out of reverence for Christ, you can imagine that it didn't go over very well when he got to the other part. He said, wives submit. Wives submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. Now, for ladies, this means that you place your husband's hopes, dreams, and desires ahead of yours. That you pull his box over and you work out of his box. Not because he expects it, but because God requests it. And so when Paul was pinning this and he was writing about what does it mean to just as Christ in these relationships, what came next was shocking. What came next was so disrupted, disrupted that it changed all manner, the way that people look at the relationship between men and women. It, it was society disrupting. It was toppling. And what comes next is what made what came first so offensive to us because he said this, husbands, love your wives. It's a new verb. More proactive. This, this verb is all-encompassing. Submit says, say yes when you're asked. And love, as a verb says, initiate. Gentlemen, love your wives. No, wife, not wives, because that's a whole different thing. <laughs> love your wife. One wife. Because who wants two? Anyway, uh, I would if they were, no, no, I wouldn't. Okay. But see, in, the, in this, Paul is not finished. How do you make your wife bury her head in her Bible? That's what you do. Uh, he says this, husbands, love your wives. There it is, just as. Husbands, love your wives just as these two words should inform all of our behavior. Those words just as should make us understand what does it look like to define a Christian marriage. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church. Just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. And you go, hang on. I know the rest of that story with Jesus, and um, yeah, that didn't end so well. But he says this, he says, husbands, love your wives, just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing that she might be holy without blemish. Husbands, initiate a love like the love that Christ had for the church. So he continues, verse 28, he says, in the same way, the same way that Christ loves the church, 
Husbands ought to love their wives with their bodies. That means that whatever you do for your own body, however you care for your own body, however you protect your own body, that you are to love, protect, and care for her just as if she were you. And in a world where a wife is considered property, that there's a legal ownership over a wife. You can imagine when it comes down to it, what Paul is saying is there is something absolutely brand new about applying the commandment of Christ in your life. It changes everything. Your wife is no longer property. In fact, she is one that is loved by you. She's one that is protected by you, that cared for just as if she were you. Second part of that verse says, he who loves his wife loves himself. Paul's saying, you guys, you're one flesh. You're one body. You are one unit. And in that culture, equating women with men, it was absolutely scandalous. The reason that we bristle nowadays when we hear the word submit is because our culture has already embraced equality, but it wasn't so. And we live in a world where it's not one of those things that we're wondering, are, are women property? We're not wondering that. In fact, we're saying we're standing shoulder to shoulder. We're caring for one another. There's equality here. And guess who introduced that to the world? Guess who introduced that idea of equality to the world? Jesus. Jesus, ladies, declared you precious in a world that had declared you property. Jesus declared you precious. So back to Paul. He said, men, you should love your wives as you love yourself. So man, what is the most important thing in life to you? What is life to you? We have this box that we carry around. We have these things that we think are most important. We have this idea that maybe a career or success or the right kind of home or the right kind of vehicle or the right kind of this or that, it makes us have a good life. Whatever those things are, Paul's saying, put her before those things. Put your wife before your job. Put your wife before your fun. Put your wife before your sports. Put your wife before you just fill in the blank. I could go all day on the things that you should put your wife before. But here's the thing, you can't do that as long as that box is full of expectations. You can't do that if all that you push out are expectations. 
And you can't do that if all you feel are expectations on you. So this is one of those places where if we are in a transactional relationship where each person expects something from the other, it will never work. It will never feel as though it's mutual. So then how do we empty our boxes? How do we make it where we can be, uh, have that box empty? How we can decide, listen, it doesn't matter what's going on in this life. It doesn't matter what I think I'm owed because you don't owe me anything. How can you get to that point where you say, I owe her or I owe him everything? How can I get to that mutual place? Paul said, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. That's what oneness means. That you put his best, that you put her best over yours. Now, last week you had some homework and I asked you to really think about what's in your box. What do you put in your box of hopes and dreams and expectations? Now, here's the dangerous part of it. Sometime today, I want you to ask your significant other, hey, what's in your box? (laughs) She's like, we have been married for 20 years. How dare you ask me what's in my box? You should know what's in my box. And your job is to stop and listen. Now, wives, you ask your husband, and here's what he'll probably say. You'll say, hey, honey, what's in your box? He'll go, nothing. Maybe because he hadn't really thought about it, but there's always something in the box. When you withhold from that question, if you say nothing, what you're really doing is you're withholding yourself. In that question, what's in your box, is the selfless question, the less self question. It's that question that if you ask it of one another, you're saying, I'm all in with what you need in your life. People that think of themselves less are happier. Relationships where one, each person thinks of themselves less, those relationships are richer. So what do we have to do? We have to drop the expectations. We have to let go of those expectations. And you say, you know what? I'm afraid if I let go of the expectations that I placed on my spouse, if I ease up, if I step back, if I let go, you don't understand, if I allow those things to go unchecked, I'm, what is it? I'm afraid. I'm afraid that he won't. I'm afraid that, that he won't come home on time, that he'll throw himself completely into his job. Well, I'm, I'm, afraid, that, I'm afraid that if I drop my expectation, then she's just going to go spend all the money that we've worked so hard to make. And I know those are stereotypes. But we worry that when we drop the expectation on another person, that they'll take advantage that they will make some, some opportunity to take more from us. And maybe they do. But I'll tell you, that's the way forward. Because if your relationship 
is a tug of war. It's, you got to always have some tension on the line and you always got to take your own territory and you got to keep that tension and you got to lean back, maybe pull it around and just hold on tight, right? If your relationship's a tug of war, the idea of dropping your end of the rope frightens you. But let me tell you, if you're a Christian, that's your job. There's no hope in a relationship till you let go. There's no hope until you let go of that rope. Because that is what God, through Christ, did for you. While you were dead in your sin, while you were dead in your trespasses and sin, God, through Christ, let go of that rope. He did something for you with no guarantee that you would return the favor. So Paul writes, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Jesus went first. And in your relationship, if you follow Jesus, it's your job to go first too. So the great advice for today is this. Put each other first by going first in an effort to be last. You drop the rope. You ask, what's in your box? You take some notes and then you act on that. And you say, listen, what about my desires? What about the things that I want? What do I do with those? We'll talk about that next week. Let's pray.